Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on X, Twitter, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it these days. At The Lines US. You can follow Motoara on Twitter, two W's at Motoara. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. Breaking down the NFL Week 10 card and Motoara having a good season. Some would say great. 23-10 and 10 with spreads and totals. You weren't on Monday's episode. I think you were out in Vegas, so... How was the trip to the West Coast, man? Pretty good trip. Uh, watched a lot of football, needless to say. Um, but yeah, other than that, just hung out with the podcast crew and uh, ate a lot of good food. Any poker while you were out there? Not really. Like a two-hour session on the day I left. Broke even. Wasted my time. <laughs> not worth not worth your time. I hear what you're saying, considering how much you play for usually in your tournaments I get it but as we break down the week 10 card Mo like I mentioned pretty good week for me on the Monday episode I also hit Jets Chargers under special teams touchdown fumble recovery scooped up led to a Chargers late touchdown and then luckily for me the Jets stayed out of the end zone so wound up three and one in week nine but how did the betting go for you last week pretty good uh like think I can't recall what I did on posted plays but I wasn't really in the discord on Monday but yeah I was huge on that Jets under as well actually uh I took some under 40 and then it moved to 41 and I just like added a bunch more I just was having a tough time seeing that one having a lot of scoring and I think obviously we were proven right in that one so uh felt pretty good about that one thought that it was honestly an unnecessary sweat in the first half but Feel bad for anyone who may have lost some first half money there. But uh, yeah, slow down in the second half. And I think this Jets defense is just pretty great. And their offense is just pretty terrible. So uh, when they face a team like the Chargers, that is basically getting a lot of mileage out of their offense. It's going to be probably pretty good to fire under a number like that. And we'll hit on the Jets game Sunday Night Football. Regrettably, the New York Jets are in back-to-back primetime games. I'm not sure how they weren't flexed out. There was some take on that earlier in the week that I disregarded. Jets Raiders. I have no opinion on the game. I'm not betting the game. Well, I have an opinion on it, but I'm not betting it. We'll see if our guests later on, Fabian Summer from the Hammer Betting Network, has a take, a wager on it. We'll talk through the NFL Week 10 slate with him. And before we get into our bets, Mo, if you're planning on betting any NFL Week 10 action, first-time users with BetMGM Sportsbook, Use bonus code the lines to get up to fifteen hundred dollars bonus bets in bonus bets back if your first bet loses. That's promo code the lines one word. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money, and as always, terms and conditions apply. You can check out our NFL betting columns analysis over at thelines.com as well. And Mo, my first bet that I put in my column this week, I took the under in Ravens Browns. I bet it at under 38.5 minus 115. I think that's still available, but if not, I would play it down to still under 38 minus 110. It was initially at 37.5 earlier in the week. So a little bit of steam, kind of similar to Jets Chargers on the over. But if you look at both of these defenses, and on the surface, they're great. And when you dig deep into the 
you know, heavier analytics, I guess, when you factor out garbage time. They're also pretty stellar. So both defenses rank top two in EPA per play allowed, and they still rank top four. The Ravens are actually slightly ahead in that category when you factor out garbage time. And even with Deshaun Watson back for the Browns last week, Cleveland still had roughly a league average drop back EPA against a pretty poor Cardinals defense. Now you could say that the script warranted less attempted explosive plays offensively, but nonetheless, Watson still looks a little bit rusty or he just is what he is at this point. And Baltimore secondary, A should be getting a lift if Marcus Williams comes back and he was off the injury report earlier this week. So we'll see if he winds up playing, but their secondary has outperformed what they were even at an above average clip so far this season, considering Marlon Humphrey is allowing a 0.04 yards per coverage snap over the last four weeks. So he's starting to return to form after dealing with a nagging injury and missing the first couple of games at least. And Cleveland's going to be without either two starting tackles from the beginning of the season with Wills just being placed on injured reserve on Monday. And they may be also without their backup right tackle, Dewan Jones. So it's going to be difficult for Watson to have time in the pocket, even though the Ravens don't get a ton of pressure. This is still an elite coverage group and an elite linebacker group as well, led by Roquan Smith that disguises their zone coverage very well under their second-year defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. Even though the Ravens have increased their pass rate over expectation with a new offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin, I think they were bottom five in that category last year with Greg Roman. The adjusted pace is still tied for fifth lowest, I think with Buffalo, and Cleveland ranks below league average in that department too. So I expect the pace to be pretty slow and a pretty methodical tempo on both sides. I think both defenses play up to par, held opponents to a pretty low efficiency in regards to explosive playmaking and success rate. And you also factor in the Browns getting back Greg Newsome their number two corner behind Denzel Ward or across from Ward. He was back at practice on Thursday. I really like the under, even though maybe considered to be low at this point at 38, but that's also the way totals have gone this season in the NFL. So what say you for this game, Mel? Yeah, I would think on the surface, both of these teams should be able to get to about 20 points, but I, I don't know, man. They're both really tough to get a read on, to be honest. Uh, I don't know what to think of Baltimore. I mean, they feasted on a clown schedule, but then at the same time, like arguably the two best teams they played was the two strongest games they've had. So it's really hard to tell what's going on with them. Um, I'm definitely concerned about the injuries on the Cleveland end. Uh, Like you said, we could be looking at a third string tackle here. I mean, they've just been decimated. I mean, obviously the interior is still very strong, which definitely helps, but Kind of feel like the Ravens might roll again versus a pretty bad quarterback here. And if they do, then I think we're definitely looking at an under because that probably means the Ravens are doing the same thing they've been doing in recent weeks, which is even though Lamar's been playing pretty well for the most part, I mean, they're winning because of their defense. I mean, just absolutely locking some of these teams up like Seattle just completely inept on offense against them and uh, pretty much the same story for Detroit. So, uh, I don't really have an opinion, I don't think, on the total, but I kind of think the Ravens might destroy the Browns. 
But at the same time, just laying points in these divisional matchups, especially with a low total like this, and that many points is not something I'm excited to do. So probably just an overall stay away for me. But I definitely get why people would want to bet the under here when these teams have been so strong on defense and especially on the Browns end, not very exciting on offense. And the familiarity factor, to your point about divisional matchups, even though you can kind of throw out the first time these two teams played in Cleveland, I think in week four, just because Dorian Thompson and Robinson was starting at quarterback. Watson's an upgrade, about below average, but definitely an upgrade over Thompson Robinson, but really like the under in this spot. So that's my first bet for week 10. Mo, on to Packers Steelers. This one has kind of flexed back and forth between three, three and a half. I think we're seeing, yeah, juiced three in Pittsburgh's direction. Total has been pretty stagnant at around, actually it's ticked up a little bit from 38 and a half to 39, but still one of the lower totals across the board, similar to the one, the game we just discussed. How are you betting Packers Steelers? Yeah, I hit the Steelers last week. Um, So after they pretty much locked up the Titans, I already liked them before that game when I looked at the look-ahead price for this, which was minus three. And I'm surprised we're still looking at minus three, I guess, after the way, especially the Packers looked last week. They had a really tough time putting away basically a god-awful Rams team. Like, the only thing the Rams were doing all season that was consistently positive is having Matt Stafford throw the ball to Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. So without that, this is just a completely terrible team without a single strength. And the Packers were, like, up one score basically the entire game. I mean, it took them until the fourth quarter to put the Rams away. I, I don't think the Packers are good at all, even though some of the metrics are saying they're decent, like DVOA net yards per play. I mean, they're kind of a middle of the pack in that, but I don't know, man, they've played a horrific schedule and I don't understand how the Steelers, which to me is a better team and coming in with extra rest at home. I don't understand how they're not laying more than three here. I know that some metrics would kind of argue against them being a better team, but I think if you look at DVOA, which is schedule adjusted, it's telling the story that I'm seeing, which is the Steelers are better. And then they're much healthier as well. Uh, You look at some of the injuries on both sides of the ball for the Packers. First of all, I don't know if a healthy Packers offensive line can hold up against the Steelers pass rush, which we know is elite. And then you have, Yosh Nyman and and John Runyon logging DNPs early in the week in front of a quarterback who has been atrocious under pressure. Uh, 43 PFF grade for Jordan Love under pressure, 77 when he's not under pressure. I think that matches what we've seen. His mechanics off-platform and his decision-making, they do seem like they fall apart. And I don't think he's... I mean, I don't don't think he's going to be very comfortable in this game on the road tough environment against a defense that has been beaten at times in the secondary. Like you watch even at times uh, the big plays from a pretty weak Tennessee passing offense, you know, they're getting chunks of yards, but I don't know if Jordan love is going to be able to take advantage of that. You know, Uh, I mean, 
on defense too, you have Jair Alexander, Quay Walker banged up. I mean, these are two of the best players the Packers have. So already after dealing away Russell Douglas, and they replaced him with a seventh-round rookie, I believe. It's not a great situation. I know that like laying points with the Steelers in a low total game is probably going to make a lot of people feel a little bit ill, and I totally understand that. I can't say I don't feel the same way, but I really think this line should be above three. So I think even just like a little bit of an expensive Steelers minus three, I think. I got minus 112 on DraftKings yesterday. I think it's minus 115 now, but I still think that's good. Like you said, there has been some push and pull on this one. So uh, clearly the sharp betting community, which is influencing the number, is only taking the Packers when they get to three and a half. So uh, I, I like the Steelers at three. I mean, if I had to bet the game, I would, I don't know how I could touch this game, honestly. Three and a half, I would sway towards the Packers just because, I mean, Pittsburgh getting outgained in every single game they play this season in yards per play, fourth worst point differential despite their five and three record. The Packers, I know you mentioned how Love has struggled under pressure and his turnover worthy play rate isn't great, but Packers are still outgaining the Steelers in EPA per play offensively. And then you consider that Love has a lower completion percentage over expected than Pickett on top of that. And I also just wonder how, if this Steelers defense is going to get worn down at all, just because if you look at opposing offenses, they've run 70 more plays than Pittsburgh, which is second lowest in the league in a negative sense, only trailing Seattle with 92. And that kind of correlates to what I'm going to touch on in Washington and Seattle in a second here in that late afternoon game on Sunday. But yeah, I just have a tough time laying points with Pittsburgh. I'm not saying I would bet the Packers, but the Steelers have gotten pretty fortunate for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that. But at the same time, uh, I just see a really big mismatch up front for the Steelers at home too, with extra rest against a quarterback who has stunk under pressure. So We've seen what happens when Jordan Love is under pressure against pretty similar defense, honestly. The way the Lions are laid out is like pretty similar to how the Steelers' defense is built. You know, stronger up front, a little weaker in the back end, and he just couldn't do anything whatsoever against the Lions. So I'm expecting him to struggle again here with TJ Watt in his face. On to the third game we're going to discuss as I alluded to, Commanders at Seahawks. This line, interestingly enough, so it opens six and a half at some books. One of the sharper books out there, some would argue the sharpest, at least among the legal sports books in the country. Circa opened at Seattle minus five and a half, but pretty much six and a half across the board was the opener. Got that down to six minus 115. Now we're seeing six and a half starting to pop again. I bet six and a half in Washington's direction earlier in the week. And if you look at a, the Seahawks defense, which is starting to get worn down kind of like Pittsburgh defensively, which I touched on on the back end of that Packers Steelers argument, or not really an argument, just why I'm kind of concerned about Pittsburgh on that side of the ball. But even though the Seahawks have allowed a slightly above average EPA per play, you saw some negative regression against the Ravens. Granted, it was the Ravens. I'm not saying this Washington offense is what Baltimore is. But since week four, Sam Howell with the sixth highest completion percentage over expected, which 
correlates back to what I mentioned going into that game against the Eagles in week four, that Biennemi was starting to do a better job of getting the ball out of Howell's hands quickly. And outside of Devin Witherspoon, the first round pick for the Seahawks, this Seattle secondary is vulnerable. And you could argue the commanders have a better quarterback in this game. I mean, since week four, Howell is also outplaying Geno Smith and adjusted EPA per drop back. And Geno Smith has the third worst rating in that category. And he's also starting to see that turnover worthy player rate catch up to him. If you look back to last season, the fifth highest percentage of turnover worthy plays among qualified quarterbacks. And this year he now has seven interceptions. I know Howell has nine interceptions, but he's also a rookie and is playing much better ball since week four. If he's able to get the ball out of his hands quickly and Biennemi continues successfully scripting those quick passes and efficient passes into the game script, which I think can happen if Washington's defense is able to get a little bit of pressure against Geno Smith and didn't have a single sack. You could argue they should have had a sack against the Patriots if there wasn't that roughing the passer call in the third quarter that led to a Patriots field goal. But Washington actually did exceed its season average in pass rush win rate despite not having Chase Young and Montez Sweat for the first time all season. I get it, a bounce back spot for the Seahawks and you factor in home field. But when you consider that Seattle was enclosed about a five, five and a half point home favorite against Carolina, and even with the market maybe being a little bit higher on the Panthers in week three than they are certainly at this juncture of the season, I think the line is inflated at six and a half just when you factor in the hypothetical bounce back spot for the Seahawks when maybe they bounce back, maybe they don't, but I still think the market is a little bit too high on the Seahawks team overall, just considering all the glaring concerns on both sides of the ball here. I already bet the commanders plus six and a half minus half, minus one ten. Mo, anything on this game for you? I was thinking about the over in this game. I mean, I don't like these defenses, especially now that the commanders have traded away a bunch of their pass rush obviously, uh, and the Seahawks, I think, have a solid defense on paper, but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be manifesting. I don't know if it's coaching or what, but I like the way Sam Howell's playing. I totally agree with what you said about how it really seems like they've somewhat mitigated the sacks that he was taking. I know he threw a stink bomb last week on that turnover against the Pats. That was as bad as you'll see, really, but... Overall, he played well, uh, aside from that snap. And uh, I just, this commander's team can't stop opposing passing games. I mean, they just lost their two best pass rushers, and their DBs basically stink. And Kendall I know Fuller's Gino, pretty good. Yeah, he's he's solid, but he's whatever. He's not, like, moving the needle necessarily. And then you have a quarterback on the other side who has kind of stunk at times under pressure and people are attacking the Seattle offense by, you know, blitzing, putting some man coverage out there and he's not really doing anything about it. It seems like, but I don't know how Washington gets pressure and there's a huge mismatch against them in the secondary. Um, at the same time, like I said, I don't know if I could disagree with what you're saying about a better quarterback here. I mean, Sam Howell is playing pretty well and when he's not taking sacks, He's a pretty solid quarterback, and I don't know. I, I just think my initial feeling is that this line is too high. I feel like maybe closer to five is right. And it is a long road trip, though, for Washington coming after 
they do have a road game already the previous week, so that's not a great situation. But, yeah, I don't really think there's going to be a lot of defense played. <laughs> I like this game from a fantasy and maybe an, a, an over standpoint. I think we could see some points here. Yeah, I'm with you. And Jahan Dotson missing practice only on Wednesday because of personal reasons. He's been, I think he's also just healthier. Now on the flip side, Deron Payne dealing with plantar fasciitis. So that doesn't help the commander's pass rush. But Washington's still blitzing about league average. Again, the pass rush win rate was better than their season average going back to last week against a struggling Patriots offensive line and banged up Patriots offensive line. Seahawks offensive line is below league average across the board. And Charles Cross has been on and off in terms of consistency at left tackle. And like you said, Smith hasn't necessarily fared well against pressure and the commander's offensive line has held up better over their last couple of weeks. You also look at expected outcome. And like you said, Howell with that terrible interception in the red zone. Washington goes one for four in the red zone overall last week in terms of efficiency inside the 20-yard line or the opposing 20-yard line. So Commanders could have easily won that game by double digits. And then you oh, yeah. In the- I think we were very unlucky. We both had Washington. I think we were very unlucky to have to sweat that one. Right. Right. On top of the fact that the personal foul roughing the passer led to three points for New England, which I think was their only second half points. So, yeah, I took Washington. I think the line is inflated there. Last game we're going to discuss, Mo, on to Atlanta and Arizona. Total in this game, another low one, but still a bit higher than the first two we discussed. Around 43, 43 and a half with Kyler Murray back under center for the first time all season for the Cardinals. But Atlanta has stayed steady at around a one and a half point road favorite. So how are you betting this mediocre late afternoon game kind of similar to Washington and Seattle but a little bit worse yeah I think it's interesting when you look at this number because it seems to be pricing in that like Kyler Murray is just going to be good to go and and he's just like fine whatever this is just like plug in 2022 Kyler Murray I think that's probably pretty optimistic when you look at kind of the timeline I didn't look at exactly when he came back from torn or when he hurt himself initially, but I think we're looking at like less than a year since he tore his ACL. I think probably he's not going to be looking 100%. So when you factor that in with just the market, I mean, look at, do the Ravens close minus 10 and a half on the road here? Like are the Ravens, I mean, they're what, maybe like four or five points better than Atlanta, something like that. So how much is rusty Kyler Murray worth over Josh Dobbs, I mean, I don't think it's going to be like five points. So I kind of think if Kyler's running for his life in this game off a sim, maybe a bum knee, I don't know if you want to say a bum knee, but maybe not a 100% knee. And against a team that's because Atlanta's third in pressure rate, like they're getting to the quarterback. And I know they don't have Grady Jarrett, but this is still an overall above average pass rush. And you have a really bad Arizona offensive line. That's like not good in the first place. And now multiple injuries. I don't like this situation very much for the Cardinals. They're still an atrocious team. I mean, they, I I don't know if like Atlanta should be able to at least run the ball and, and getting Drake London back versus a terrible defense that can't stop anybody. I don't know, man. I I just don't like the situation. We've seen Kyler Murray struggle at times playing catch up. He's definitely a little better when he's 
not forcing it. And so if he is in this spot, I think I could see Atlanta winning this game. Uh, I don't really, I think this line's like pretty fair if this is normal Kyler Murray, but I'm skeptical we're going to see that. So I, I do like Atlanta a bit here. We were touching on this with Atlanta and Minnesota, and I think you kind of got unlucky with that result just with Josh Dobbs coming in cold and maybe the Falcons were or weren't prepared, but I mean, off script, just a weird situation last week. So maybe you take that into account with New Orleans and Minnesota. That lines up to three. Maybe the market is taking that into account as well. But Atlanta allowing a top 10 rushing EPA and success rate. So to your point, I mean, it depends what kind of script we get. Very similar zone rush scheme with the Browns, former Browns coach, now Cardinals offensive coordinator operating that system in Arizona. Atlanta has been susceptible against the run. No Grady Jarrett. Does that factor into your handicap at all? Or how do you see this if Arizona can maintain some sort of positive game script? Yeah, I'll be curious to see if James Conner comes back because he's definitely, I know we don't usually cap for running backs, but I mean, when you're handing to something called Demercado and whatever Tony Jones, whatever guys they were pulling off the street there, that is just brutal. So I think it would definitely help them a lot if James Conner is able to come back. I know he was designated for return, but as we've seen in recent weeks, it feels like maybe 50-50 or even less that these guys wind up suiting up. So that's not a situation I would be uh, excited about if I was an Arizona better if they're trying to hand off here. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just not feeling like the market is properly pricing a rusty Kyler Murray and how bad this Arizona team. Like, they should be 0-8. If, if Dallas just showed up for that game, this team wouldn't have a single win. So those are our bets for Week 10. Ravens-Browns under. You got the Steelers, Commanders, and Falcons. Now it's time to be joined by Fabian Summer from the Hammer Betting Network. You can follow him on Twitter, at Suma810. Congrats, I think I'm allowed to say it, on the birth of your second kid. You got two kids now in your life. I have no idea how you have time to do NFL betting content, but we appreciate you coming on the show, man. Hey, Eli, thanks for having me again. Uh, yeah, uh, sleep is reduced by night, but I, I'm still doing okay. It, it, it's not as bad, so I'm good to go. <laughs> and I hope it's been a good season for you through the first nine weeks. If you don't mind sharing with our listeners, viewers, how you've been doing, batting sides and totals, and maybe a takeaway or two, some of your biggest takeaways so far throughout the NFL season. Yeah, I didn't have the, the greatest start. I'm uh, slightly in the red right now, so um, trying to um, um, get the turn, so, so, so to speak. Um, look, looking forward to Week 10. Um, I think that I've been... Uh, I've done poorly with a few totals early in the season, especially on, on overs. Uh, I did not expect the scoring environment to be that crazily low again. So, um, I mean, we are looking at kind of historic uh, um, passing numbers being down, red zone efficiencies down, defenses are, are really performing better, uh, special teams like field position game is up so um i i did not expect such uh, such a drastic change so i lost some on a, on a few totals 
early in the year um also still looking back to that um crazy ravens uh ats loss against the cardinals two weeks ago with that w w with the one and only onside kick on the season which made me lose my bet so um but yeah it, it's okay cannot expect to win every time over a nine week sample so looking to to finish the uh, season strong here Mo is on the other side of you in that Ravens Cardinals game, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mo may have to send you maybe an apology letter or something like that, or give you half of his winnings. Whatever he wants to do, I'll let you guys settle it on the side. But, Fabian, you mentioned the under trend, and 83 52 and 1. We've seen unders go so far this season, good for a 62% hit rate. And, of course, the primetime unders. Mo and I, not that we bet this because of any sort of trend on Monday night, and you can make the case that the game should have gone even further below the under that we saw, despite the Jets nearly cashing in on the over with a late touchdown drop by Uzama on that final possession. 22-7, and seven, we've seen primetime unders cash in this year, good for a 76% hit rate. And as we look at the Ravens, the aforementioned Ravens, I have an underplay on Browns-Ravens this week, and that's the first game we're going to touch on with you here. So how are you playing this one, or what's your take on this game, even if you don't have a bet on it, side or total? I have a small bet on Ravens minus six so far. Um, I, I make this game closer towards six and a half, seven in the range, especially when Davan Jones will not play uh, because the tackle situation for, for the Browns is getting really messier. Jack Conklin is already on IR. Then they lost uh, Jedrick Wills last week. Uh, so it will be James Hudson and whoever on the right side if, if Devon Jones cannot go. I mean, Jones is having a, a really good rookie season so far especially for a guy who was taken in the in the mid rounds and um, not that high and i'm still not a believer in the browns offense i mean when you look at uh, all the games with deshaun watson um so far this season first week against cincinnati it was a wayne slash windy game so you would not expect passing games to perform highly to begin with but it still looked rough even on these uh, short and in intermediate throws then against Pitts pittsburgh a 40 percent passing uh, or offensive success rate 60 percent serious success rate serious success rate had had some crucial turnovers where he didn't really feel pressure and and i think he had one or two fumbles um, against the titans best game of the season probably um, and then last week against Arizona, which is arguably the worst defense in, in football right now. So there's maybe like one data point since Deshaun Watson joined the Browns. That was the uh, Titans game where we can say, okay, that offense kind of looked like a top 12, top 14 kind of unit. And um, now playing against the Ravens, which is maybe the best defense in the league right now. The Ravens don't have the best talent on defense, but the way that Mike McDonald is trying to be cohesive be between his defensive line, linebackers, Wakron Smith, and the secondary, Marcus Williams will, will be back this, this week. He was not on, on the injury report yesterday. I, I think that they will make it very, very hard on the Browns' offense, and 
I would not be surprised if we see another classic Watson-Browns game with a few turnovers where they cannot really move the ball, whether it's on the ground or through the air. And yes, the Browns defense is very, very good so far, but I don't think they will contain these this Ravens offense for like um, 60 minutes. In the first game, the Ravens were successful against the, against this defense, and that was without Ronnie Stanley, without Ola Beckham, without Rashad Bateman. Morgan Moses left the game after 29 snaps, um, and then his replacement at, at right tackle got really pounded in the, in the second half, and the score was already 21-3. Ravens didn't need to do a lot against Dorian um, Thompson, Robinson, Robin, Robinson Thompson. So um, I think the, the the Ravens' offense should be fine, should be fine enough to, to to put some scoring drives together. And then I just don't see how the Browns' offense really competes in this game. So I like the Ravens still quite a bit at minus six and a half, not as much as I like them as six, obviously. But um, I, I could only look towards the Ravens in this matchup. Yeah, I'm I'm with you here. I think uh, leaning that way for sure. Uh, just I don't know, hard to trust the Browns at all, and just the way the Ravens are playing. It's but that's kind of what I what I wanted to ask you about actually. How do you feel about the Ravens overall? Because if I recall correctly, you were a little bit on the higher end on the Ravens in the preseason, and obviously we have number one Ravens cheerleader in the world on this podcast. Back to back years with Super made Bowl made a strong futures, play. Man. Yeah, made a strong Super Bowl play at twenty five <laughs> to one down to looks like around eight, nine to one across the market. I mean, you have some people like really dialed into the league. Like, you know, I'm listening to the athletic football show, some of these guys. I mean, they're saying they think the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. Uh so how do you feel about the Ravens going forward? Because if if you're kind of on the same page as that, I would think that you would think maybe nine to one is a solid price on the Ravens for the Super Bowl futures. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all these prices came down, especially Lama Jackson MVP was like 20 to 1 uh, two or three weeks ago. I was extremely high on the Ravens going to the season. I think they were my like fifth-ranked team or, or something. I had some kind of a high um, variance rating going into the season because new offensive coordinator, I didn't like their, their pass rushers. Um, but after like five or six weeks, the, the offense looks, uh, maybe even better than I anticipated going, going into the season. And the quality of pass rushers doesn't really matter that much because Mike McDonald is just getting the most out of these guys and everything works perfectly together where you don't maybe don't need some Nick Bosa, uh, Miles Garrett kind of pass rusher w would be nice to have. But right now the Ravens defense is playing at a very high level despite lacking premier uh, pass rushing quality. So um, yeah, right now I, I, I think you can make the case that they probably belong towards the number one spot in terms of a power rating or power ranking or whatever. Um, they right now might be small favorites, for example, against the Chiefs on a neutral, Niners on a neutral, but it's 
also only right now we, we don't know what's going to happen uh, over the over the next few weeks like if the chiefs offense gets back on track and they and they figure out how to use their their, their personnel and maybe their their run game can get to a higher floor we might be completely thinking differently and um, put the chiefs back at the number one spot but i think right now with the current form i think you can definitely make the case that the ravens belong belong to be up there I'm sure that's music to Eli's ears, uh, but going on to another game for this week, another slight disagreement it seems like between me and Eli. I think he doesn't want to tell me that he hates my Steelers bet, but I do like the Steelers and think they I don't want to bet the game. I don't want to pretty touch much this game. lock up Jordan Love and put him in a cage. I'll be surprised if they don't. So uh, break the tie for us and let us know what you think of this one. Siding with Mo on this one. Uh, Steelers were my first pick this week. Um, got it at minus three. I mean, I, I like everything about this matchup. Um, I think on the one hand side, you can make the case or you can argue that Pittsburgh has been very fortunate to be five and three right now. They had a few really lucky games, were outplayed, still won in the end, but it was also a very very tough schedule per my numbers they played the toughest schedule in the league third toughest on offense first or number one toughest on defense um, and they played most of the season without cam hayward deontay johnson missed four games um, their offense had, looked like the worst unit um, in the season at some point got a little bit better in recent weeks, still not sold on Matt Canada at all, still not sold on, on Kenny Pickett. There were some really, really rough throws against the Titans last Thursday. I am i don't think that this offense can be a, an, an average unit by the end of the season, but fortunately they are going to play a Packers team that is below average on both sides of the football, despite playing a very fortunate schedule so far. And I, I, I just don't see this offense with John Love getting anything going against this Steelers defense will probably be without Mika Fitzpatrick, but I think that the defensive line alone should be able to control this game and um, likely force more turnovers than the Packers would be able to on the other side. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much word for word almost what I was saying about this one. So we are definitely in lockstep on that one. Uh, moving on to another game that's probably going to see some more scoring, probably a lot more scoring. Uh, a game that I think a lot of people will be excited to bet this week, uh, just between what these teams have been doing lately, uh, especially last week. We have Texans at Bengals in a game that actually has a ton of playoff leverage. So what do you make of the way the Texans' offense is playing? And a lot of injuries on both sides of the ball for both of these teams, I think. So how does that factor into the way you're looking at this game, if it does at all? Yeah, so first of all, I am all in on the prospect of CJ Stroud. I could not like it more what I'm seeing. This might be the best rookie season by quarterback since I started watching football. Uh, I mean, Dak Prescott, for example, had a very, very good um, first season. 
but I think everyone would agree that Stroud is playing with a much worse supporting cast and is probably making more of these upside throws that Prescott was not really doing in his in his first season. So I'm I'm really really impressed, and that's despite his OC for whatever reason trying to establish the one almost every game. And they are a button three rushing offense, but they continued to to, to pound the rock. Um, Damien Pierce um, not having a great season, and then Cedric Stroud is put in in a lot of bad or slash worse situations when he's going to go on longer second and third downs. But for the most part, he's been fine. I mean, he had a kind of difficult first half against the Bucks, but then everything was clicking in the second half. But that being said, I think this week is going to be a completely different game on the road against a Bengals defense that's worse than last year, but against a against an extremely smart DC, against a defense that is getting a little bit better. Um, pass rush is, is coming along, and I think this will be a very, very tough quest for the Texans offense. And then on the other side, we have to talk about the injuries to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Uh, I think uh, 30 minutes ago, we got the news that T. Higgins is not practicing after getting injured um, on his hamstring yesterday. So that sounds really, really pessimistic. Uh, Jamar Chase was back at practice, but I don't know whether it's going to be a full practice or a limited practice. Right now, if I had to make a better, I would probably say that Chase is going, is going to play and Higgins will not. In that case, we should probably expect the lines to uh, the the line to come down a little bit. However, I'm not sure that Higgins alone will make me believe that the Bengals cannot move the ball on this. Uh, Texans defense. Texans defense um, is not good at all to begin with. Pretty bad against the pass. And when you just look at the injury list of the Texans uh, defense right now, I, I'm just uh, pulling it up. Um, Texans defense. Hassan Witchway on IR. Torres Achilles last week. Will Anderson did not practice yesterday. Is uh, very uncertain to play this week. Blake Cashman did not practice yesterday with a knee injury. Derek Stingley got off IR. But he, he's still in ramp-up mode, and it sounds like he's not going to play this week. Eric Murray, Eric Murray on IR. Jimmy Ward left last week with a hamstring injury, was DNP yesterday. Steven Nelson, starting cornerback, likely out this week. And uh, backup safety MJ Stewart is also on IR after getting injured last week. So it's going to be a very thin secondary and in that case, I'm not sure that we will feel T. Higgins missing next Sunday. I I, I still think that um, since he should be able to move the ball, I like the Bengals in this one, but I would prefer getting a better number once it's clear that uh, T. Higgins is not going to end up playing. Yeah, you mentioned the Bengals' defensive struggles and also getting the benefit of turnover luck for sure when you go back to that Bills game and the Kincaid fumble that I don't know if Buffalo wins the game if they don't if Kincaid doesn't fumble the ball what inside the 25 inside the red zone but mm -hmm. I mean they score a touchdown in their next possession granted maybe the Bengals were playing a little bit of prevent but then like you said this Texan secondary is very vulnerable and Nelson is their best corner by far top that off with 
Ward potentially being at least banged up if he's playing, if not out for this game. So could be a high scoring game. We've seen that we saw the total, I think, rise as high as 48 and a half. And there's been a little bit of buyback. Do you have any opinion mm. on the total? I mean, it seems like you expect both offenses to move the ball, albeit if the Texans try to establish the run against a stout Bengals defensive front, DJ Reader, what he means to that Bengals defensive line. And also, Awuzie, I know the Bengals secondary, I know this is kind of devil's advocate to what I was saying with the Bengals secondary allowing the, I think the fifth or sixth highest dropback success rate, but Awuzie is starting to get healthier and that means a lot to the Bengals pass defense too. Yes, absolutely. I also think that um, this might be very game script friendly for the over because when we think that, okay, the Bengals are likely going to put up points, they might put a lot of scoring pressure on the Texans, which will get the Texans out of, out of their run first approach and maybe trying to chase a lead at some point. And uh, Texans done it uh, quite a few times this season already um, against the Colts in week two, I think. Um, then last week against the Bucks, they have the capability to go into pass first, to be aggressive and try to try to chase a lead. And CJ Stroud looks like a quarterback of being capable of doing that late in the game. So I think from a game script perspective, I like the outlook for the over and Right now, I mean, we don't know yet what's going to happen with those wide receivers. If if one is out, I would not be surprised if the if we saw a little bit more under money. So whatever you are trying to do right now, I would probably just wait if you want to bet the over or the Bengals. Last game we're going to discuss, Fabian, Jets, Raiders. Not sure how this game is still in prime time, but we've got Jets back-to-back primetime games pretty Pretty disgusting, and the line is disgusting, too. The Jets were two-and-a-half-point favorites, I believe, on the look-ahead. Now, dogs in some uh, some books have them as underdogs. I mean, it's essentially a pick pretty much across the board, but Raiders are favored by a point, some shops. So, any bets on this game or any any takes, if not wagers yourself? I'm looking at the Jets a little bit. Um, Joy Tunes um, gave out the Raiders yesterday on his uh, Telegram Feed Me channel. So that had a lot of market impact. They moved the market from Raiders minus minus one, minus one and a half in some spots uh, towards Pick'em, minus 15, Pick'em uh, pick flat right now. I think at this number, I could only look towards the Jets because the Jets, in my opinion, are still the better team despite everything that we saw from Zach Wilson in, in recent weeks. Um, this Jets defense is really, really legit. And on the other side, we have Aiden O'Connell, who looked terrible in his first start against the Chargers. And last week against uh, Tommy DeVito, they did not really need, need to do a lot. It was all all run, running the ball, dink and dunk, and that was enough to, to beat that uh, Giants team that lost its quarterback halfway through the to the first half, so I would not take too much away. It was also a great motivational spot, but now in in the second week after the Josh McDaniels firing, everything is cooling down a little bit. Jets are in a, a massive uh, bounce back spot here. Um, I just don't see how the Raiders' offense moves the ball on on this Jets' uh, defense. And on the other side, 
the Raiders defense is 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 very very bad outside of 98 Marcus Peters is um uh, left the game last week was DNP yesterday so i think um Dwayne Brown might be back at left tackle for um, for the Jets w which might be a, a decent boost i think yes i i don't trust Zach Wilson at all but i still think that the Jets offense should somehow get like two or three Uh, maybe field goal drives together, which might be enough in this one. Um, I just don't trust the Raiders offense to get anything going against this Jets defense. And I would think that the Jets offense is still in a better position here. And you look at totals across the board. This is one of the lowest, if not the lowest, I think, among yes. week 10 totals. Yeah, we're sitting at 36 and a half at a couple different books. High point. And that market is 37. So I think where it's pretty much all the way 36 and a half. So definitely the lowest total this week. I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but you mentioned Max Crosby. If you look at defensive player of the year right now in the betting market, Parsons and Miles Garrett, depending on the book, one may be favored or slight favorites over the other. Then you have TJ Watt. We touched on the Steelers earlier. Max Crosby has the fourth or fifth shortest odds in this market. Again, just depending on the sports book. But any thoughts on the Defensive Player of the Year award or not really at this juncture? And even with Crosby dominating and this Raiders defense not looking up to snuff besides 98, like you said, would you look towards him at all or do not see any value in that number even? You completely caught me off guard, but I will say that I think Max Crosby in this market might be a little bit underrated, but he will probably have a very hard time winning in the end because the Raiders are a bad football team. And even if he collects more stats, he might probably not get the public attention like guys like Miles Garrett. When you look at the Browns schedule right now, it's going to be very easy down the road and there will be a lot of opportunities for Miles Garrett to collect counting stats like sacks, for example, or forced fumbles. And even though I, I think Max Crosby belongs up there, he's the only guy on the Raiders that can do everything. He is phenomenal against the run. He's great rushing the passer. I, I think that he really belongs up there, but I still think that the spotlight will be more on guys like Miles Garrett who will make the playoffs and are in a better position with that schedule to collect more stats. So that's why you're a pro. Because you're ready for the question, and you had a good answer, even though you didn't know it was coming. <laughs> so, appreciate you coming on, Fabian, as always. He is Fabian Sommer. You can follow him on Twitter at Suma810 on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. A part of the Hammer Betting Network. Really appreciate the time, Fabian. I hope your NFL Sunday goes, or whatever time it is in Germany, depending on what game you're watching, I hope... With two kids now, you could still get your football fixed and still get enough sleep to do your film work and whatever else you have going on handicap of the game. So really appreciate the time, Fabian, as always. Thanks for having me every time again, folks. Appreciate it. And if you want to get in on any NFL Week 10 action with our free contest, head over to play.thelines.com to participate in our week 10 NFL betting contest for a chance to win free Amazon gift cards. Remember if you're betting at BetMGM first time, use promo code, the lines one word to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet loses, that's promo code, the lines one word, Mo, any last words before we get out of here? No, I just uh, hope that 
my Chiefs can defeat the juggernaut Ravens at some point. But uh, I, I guess I would just say I totally agree with him about Max Crosby, though. Uh, I don't see him having much of a shot, even though I, he's been playing uh, some amazing football for sure. But I, I definitely hope he's right, too, about the Browns because I still have that long shot bet on fewest uh, points conceded. And, yeah, that that schedule is definitely a factor when I was looking at that. That's Monoir. You can follow Mo on Twitter at Monoir2Ws. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. Follow the lines at the lines US. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. Remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell if you enjoyed the show. And also subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you found your favorite podcasts. So long, everybody.